It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Look back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother! Welcome, one and all, to another big edition of Reliving the War where myself and my co-host Simon Tackler go through the Monday Night Wars. I should actually, that was rather arrogant of me, assuming that you knew who I was. It is Nemesis, or of course, as I mentioned, joined by Simon. And Simon, tell you what, we're getting, uh, we're getting fairly into the run of the NWO. And I don't know about you, but Mind Games in your house felt like the WWE also, sorry, the WWF at the time also realized, hang on, I think we could be in a bit of trouble here. Yeah, I think so. This had a little bit of attitude throughout the show. I felt like they were in Philadelphia, which was the home of ECW. I think the WWF consciously tried pushing the boundaries on this pay-per-view. Um, it wasn't perfect, but I think it was the first step to show that, hey, we're going to try and match WCW's craziness. We had SummerSlam last time round, and obviously that was the marquee show. That was a big, big show. That's that's something. It's a pillar to the WWE today. It's that's how highly regarded that is as a show. We return to an in-your-house pay-per-view, which means a shorter duration. And like you said, Simon, there was a bit of a shift. But did you feel the same thing? And we we went we sort of covered this in our SummerSlam pay-per-view, and you can go back and listen to that in the Grey Wolf Wrestling archives. But um, it almost seemed SummerSlam, it was just like, you know, we'll do our thing, you'll do your thing. We both agreed that Fall Brawl 96 was just tremendous. It was just something, at least that lasting image of, uh, it blew SummerSlam out of the water. So do you reckon this is the time when they sort of went, okay, sh- well, we, I know we got an in your house here, but we'll try and incorporate some elements of a big show to this. Yeah, this still felt like a big pay-per-view. And I think you're right there. I think maybe this is the turning point for in-your-house pay-per-views. After this, each of them would at least have a big gimmick match. There'd be maybe an interview segment like we saw on this one with big stars like Stone Cold Steve Austin and a big main event. So maybe this is where they thought, hey, we can't just throw these pay-per-views away because... We've seen WCW so far, just from what we've reviewed, you know, there was Bash at the Beach, massive gimmick pay-per-view. Road Wild, massive gimmick pay-per-view. And then, like you said, Fall Brawl. WWE can't do in your house, you know, like those weird 95 ones anymore by Mm. this point. So this was big. Even though it was two hours, felt like a bigger show. And unlike SummerSlam, uh, which was... SummerSlam didn't have a big gimmick match, but it was there by the virtue of being SummerSlam. Mm. We've seen International Incident, which we loved. King of the Ring 96, which is what kicked off this entire series, we also loved too, but it was just there. It wasn't earth-shattering, whereas 
from the minute this pay-per-view started, for an in-your-house pay-per-view, it got the full video treatment. Look at the start of International Incident compared to the start of in-your-house mind games. Like, there is the full video package. It highlights the two major feuds going in. So if you had never picked up, if you just were flicking through and decided to watch uh, this on pay-per-view, or even if you saw it in your video in your video store like we did back in the day, from the minute you put this in, it was like, this is big. Yeah, and not only did they go big with a great video package to make up for the last show, but they even made sure you knew it was big because they had both voiceover guys in the one video package. That struck me as strange. I don't remember that. It had Jim Fagan and also Todd Pettengill. They did one match each, which I think is mm. great. You know, I think WWE should do more of that where it doesn't all feel the same. You know, different voice guy, different music. It was really cool. Another thing that they were really trying to ram home, and uh, it's something that I thought was hilarious, just shoehorning the word mind games into everything. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. and the, the video package, you know, played on Mankind and Goldust, you know, playing mind games. But also there was a big emphasis on like praying for Shawn Michaels because can he handle it? You know, it was like, yeah. pray for this man. It was kind of it cool. Was, it was very cool to sort of see. So the two main selling points off of this pay-per-view was Mankind and Goldust. Um, sorry, HBK versus Mankind for the WWF Championship and Goldust versus The Undertaker. These were the two main storylines going into it. We get straight into the pay-per-view. It's still the old in-your-house set, so it still looks very much like International Incident did. But something that I thought was a bit different, at least I don't remember this, uh, from the previous two pay-per-views that we covered, and it could just be my old age kicking in, but did you see Vince, JR, and Mr. Perfect sort of standing up, presenting like a la Tony Schiavone, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Dusty Rhodes? Yeah, that was a bit weird that they were standing doing the intro. Normally, the WWF would have the guys just sitting at the desk. I feel like they would stand for old episodes of Raw back in 93, you know, Mm. or 94, back from the Manhattan Center, where you'd have Vince and Macho Man standing up. Yeah, that was odd. It felt like a real WCW move by this point. And that's the part that sort of goes, hmm, okay, so here we are. We're, we're trying to kick it all off. As you said, they're in Philadelphia, the home of ECW, and that will play a role very briefly in our first match, which is, of course, uh, future WWE champion Justin Hawk Bradshaw versus Savio Vega in a Caribbean strap match. Now, the whole point of this match is, if you don't know what a Caribbean strap match is, it's basically a strap match. But <laughs> the main undercurrent of this match is, Savio Vega has never lost a Caribbean strap match. Yeah, I was trying to think back. I swear he had only had one other one against Steve Austin. I couldn't remember him having like 10 of them. It wasn't The Undertaker's streak at WrestleMania. It was a guy <laughs> who was Puerto Rican who had a couple of strap matches. It turned out, though, to be a bit of a barnstormer. Um, you might remember that uh, I think Bradshaw got his hands all over Savio Vega in the previous pay-per-view. So that obviously lit this feud up a little bit. But uh, the main thing that everyone will take out of this match, the sort of the highlight package of this is the ECW involvement. And I thought it was quite, well, it was different. It was really different. You never at one point, at any stage of the WWF's history at this point in time, did they ever acknowledge rival promotions? Mm. Sure, ECW is still in its infancy here, but to actively put attention on 
ECW and two big stars from ECW. This isn't Lance Storm coming in and super kicking um, during an episode of Monday Night Raw. This is a pay-per-view that's got some ECW involvement. Yeah, like you had Sandman, who I feel like in 96, that was their big star. And you had Tommy Dreamer and Sandman spitting beer at Savio Vega. I'll be honest, I saw this pay-per-view a few times as a kid. I didn't remember this happening as a kid. Like, I remember them talking about it in, you know, the rise and fall of ECW, and they talk about this moment in hindsight. But as a kid, not knowing what ECW was yet, I had no idea what was going on. And honestly, it's in Philly. The crowd didn't react as loudly as I was expecting. Like, you know, watching it back, knowing it was coming. They chant ECW a little bit, but it's not not huge. No, you're right. And going back to, like, what you said, too, uh, my entire childhood sort of memories of this or from back in the day is that, oh, there was just a bit of weird interference from the crowd because it gets stamped out so quickly mm. that it doesn't play a role at all. ECW does not play a role at all. And it's funny that you mentioned the rise and fall of ECW DVD because in that, they make it seem like this is this huge, yeah, the first shot into the mainstream, da-da-da-da-da, yeah. when really it was just the Sandman spits beer on Savio Vega you see Tommy Dreamer reclining in that chair in the first row. They give a little plug for ECW saying that they're a local Philadelphia organization. JR just says they're off of their 15 minutes of fame. And then we go straight back to the match. That's yeah. all it is. That's, that's the extent of ECW involvement. So I'm wondering if, you know, was just trying to pander to that, that smarter audience back then that, oh, if you hang around, maybe the Sandman's going to run in or something like that. Maybe, but again, by this point, if you've if you're watching the pay per view, like you've you've already paid for it. I don't know. It seems like an odd um, choice to even do. Mm. You know, like from a creative standpoint, what was this going to achieve? And I know it sort of is like, oh, anything can happen in the WWF, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it achieved what they thought at the time. You're right. And it actually took away as well from what was a relatively good strap match. I mean, it was violent. I I mean, before the bell even rings, you've got Bradshaw basically choking him with the strap, beating him down with the strap, like stuff that is very not PG for that era. Like, because at this point in time, remember, the WWF is still very family friendly. They got gimmicks like the goon all that sort of stuff duke the, they were, were towards the tail end of the duke the dumpster drosy era but uh it was actually a really violent really hands-on i was actually i don't remember being as impressed by this match back then as i was watching it now yeah it wasn't bad at all i think bradshaw um looking back at his matches they're better than you think you know i think he's the one who stands out And Savio Vega, like we've mentioned before, he was sort of WWF's kind of high flyer at the time, but he was good. Mm. He had good matches, as we've seen with Owen Hart, you know, earlier in the year of 96 with Steve Austin, and even with Bradshaw, this is good. Um, Savio even got to cut like an old-fashioned promo before the match. That's right, yeah. It's not really what he said, it's more just how he said it, but that was that classic promo style where he's like, JBL, or, you know, Bradshaw, I'm going to whoop you. And it was like, cool, yeah, that's it. It was so cool too, because it was it was done 
Uh, so Bradshaw has his entrance, and then they cross the back while Salvio's music's still playing. It, and it's almost like a real little hype package because it's sort of like, you know, I'm coming out now to beat your ass kind of thing. <laughs> we need more of that. That's a thing WWF used to do all the time because I remember, you know, The Rock would do that too. He'd finish a promo, and the second he finished, you'd hear his music mm. hit or, you know, Steve Austin or even Hulk Hogan and The Ultimate Warrior. They need to bring that back. The promo just as their entrance is about to hit because you're so ready for it. Macho Man was another big one when it came to, to yeah. that sort of thing as well. Uh, but it was, I thought this was a pretty good finish. It was actually a great finish to this match because, so the object of a, of a strap match, for those that might not know, is you have to touch all four ring corners. And it was really cool because Bradshaw was touching all three. Savio Vega was doing the same thing after him. And at what point in time, Bradshaw had to use his foot to tag the third one. And as he's going for the fourth one, Savio Vega is holding him back. So Bradshaw is using, it's almost like a tug of war. So basically what Savio Vega does is the little fake out thing, causing Bradshaw to fall over and launch Vega into the fourth post and tag it, thus winning the match. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, and I'm convinced though that Every strap match ends this way. Even though they all don't, this feels like the ending for a strap match. I don't know if this was the first match to do it or if this was a copied ending, but it really is, you know, like the classic strap match finish where the guy behind jumps at the end and, you know, beats the guy in front of him to it. Yeah, it was good. And the crowd just went crazy. So, I mean, you and say how popular Savio Vega was. Can't quite explain it. It's, it's almost like Lex Luger levels of popularity <laughs> in the sense that why are they cheering him so much? But they are, and he's really over. Yeah, there's a few guys from this era who you may have thought at the time they're going to be a big star. Savio was one of them. Didn't pan out because we've never discussed it on the show yet because it's a couple of years away in our timeline. But I think Los Bariquas is like the downfall of Savio. They should never have turned him heel and into a gangster. Didn't work out for him. Yeah, the whole gang wars thing of 97 is something I'm really looking forward to, I can tell you. Wars with a Z. (laughs) And that awful spray paint font because gangs use spray paint a lot. But uh, look, I thought it was a pretty good match. Great way to go kick off the the show and really sort of set the pace for what was going to be a good pay-per-view. And then comes the next match, which is uh, like I like to call the Bobby Heenan special. It's the old manager gets his comeuppance match. And it's between Jose Lothario, who is, of course, Shawn Michaels' manager, and Jim Cornette, who managed Camp Cornette, which include Vader, British Bulldog, and Owen Hart. Bit of shenanigans before this match too, Simon. Yeah, we saw the um, the promo video where um, Jose had slapped Cornette and we had seen them. Were they doing arm wrestling? Was that what was in yeah. the video package at one point? And things like that, yeah. Uh, Cornette was cutting a promo on the way to the ring and then we saw a video package of like old man Jose wrestling in his gym with some guys and I couldn't remember this match for the life of me. I thought it was an actual match, but geez, it was over quick. Um we also saw, I think the shenanigans you mean is the mm-hmm. brawl that we didn't see, but they reported mm-hmm. that Savio Vega was beat down by some invaders, by yeah. Razor and Diesel. And this is, so 
now we've done about three episodes of WCW. So at this point in time, you know that the NWO is fully in swing. Scott Hall and Kevin Nash are there. They're cemented. They're they're part of the WCW fabric right now. So Jim Cornette makes his entrance, as you said, doing the bad stand-up, where he's like, Jose Lothario is so old, his social security number is one. That kind of gear is the level that we're expecting him. We do hear about a commotion in the back and there's a brawl. And we just basically see down in the corridor, a tall guy kind of looks like Diesel and a guy in orange, not orange, sorry, purple Razor Ramon outfit. That then after they beat it down, Jose, they run out of a door and then lock it behind them because the cameraman tries to chase them down and that door's locked. Who was that? Yeah. And we also get JR's comments. So this in the timeline was what, like one day before they debuted on TV? Yep. Yep. The whole cell apparently was JR is bringing Razor and Diesel back. That was your first glimpse of them. And to be fair, there was such a tiny glimpse. You could go, maybe he is bringing them back. <laughs> like that's maybe. how much of a blur it was. That's how much of a blur it was. But like, look, you're right, Simon. This was literally a blink and you miss it sort of match. I don't think... Did Jim Cornette even get any offense in? No, nah, it was one punch from Jose and it was all over. I got to say, their entrances were the highlight though because Cornette entered to Vader's music, which is so mm. funny, which like <laughs> if I ever create Jim Cornette in a video game, that's the music I'm going to give him. And Jose Lothario walking out to Sexy Boy. Hilarious. So funny. So strange too. And, and was, the best part is Sean Michaels jacket. Yeah. Jose was wearing like one of those chalk line. If you've seen him, these retro style, like Sean Michaels, big logo on the back. It looked like Jose was wearing a prototype of that. The old airbrush, airbrush sort of thing. Yeah. But what I thought was even more hilarious was Jim Cornette was wearing the, you know, if you the full spandex sort of like this is what a wrestler would wear. It's it's almost like a cosplay wrestler outfit. Yeah, similar to um like shades of Andy Kaufman. If you remember, like you know, you see footage. He's in that the weird bodysuit body wrestler type thing. Yeah. But anyway, but yeah. hey, the crowd went crazy for the pin though. Absolutely loved it too. And, in and fact, I will I, say I, one lesson I wish WWE learned from this match. This should have been the prototype for Jerry Lawler and Michael Cole at WrestleMania 27. Mm-hmm. And yep. also for Vince McMahon at Bret Hart at WrestleMania 20... Eight, whatever that one was. was. Yeah, yeah. Two of the worst right. matches ever. That should have just ended. One punch, pile driver, yeah. over. Because it was just the audience was hot. They weren't bored. It was believable in the sense that Jim Cornette does run his mouth. Hosel Lothario, as we saw from the footage, is a legit tough guy. Just punched him twice. That's it. Done and done. I've written in my notes, short and inoffensive. Yeah, exactly. That's all you want from this kind of match. Also, I forgot that Jose Lothario, like, because they would mention it a lot at this time, his nickname as a wrestler was Super Sock. And (laughs) was Super Sock the name of the move? That's what I was trying to figure out. I think yeah. it was, you know? I think, that's, I think you're right there. The super there soft. You Socked him in the jaw kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah, I get you now. Uh, next up, we get one of the also-famous little vignettes in between um, matches, the WWF Superline with the number that um, we can call and chat to the superstars exclusively. 
you want to talk, we, we often sort of say how in 1996, they were really putting their eggs in the wrong basket. <laughs> Warrior, Mark Merrow. I'll tell you what, did Mark Merrow's stock fall quickly because he's, <laughs> he's relegated to the super line spot. Yeah, it was funny seeing these four, like, you know, Sable, Merrow, Farouk and Sonny. It was interesting to see what time had done, though, because you're right, Mero didn't really work out. Farouk ended up rebounding and having mm-hmm. a great run after this. Sonny, the one who was talking and they put the focus on, things don't turn out well for her. But the one person no. who isn't talking in this segment is Sable. She didn't have the mic. And in two years, she's like the most popular person in the whole company. She is on the Mount Rushmore of popularity in the Attitude Era behind, like, say, Austin... DX and Sable is like the three pillars of the um, of the uh, Attitude Era. But yeah, an interesting little tidbit. Obviously, it's a little filler segment, but it is funny when you look in hindsight to see where everyone's ended up. Speaking of hindsight, Brian Pillman is in the next segment, and this was this was very different because it was an interview segment. It was a talk. It was a piece to camera, and when you look at the um, the participants in it, it's incredible to see where this was put on the card because he comes out and just flat out insults the crowd, then brings out Owen. But there is a little um, piece of footage, a cutaway of Bret Hart in South Africa um, saying that you guys, you false advertise. You knew I was going to come to, to Philadelphia because I'm doing this. So then they proceed to completely just rain all over and just bury Bret Hart in the next segment. Yeah, and it was a good promo though. And I think um, I mentioned it on the King of the Ring show that Owen Hart did commentary on. Owen Hart Mm -hmm. in this era, while Bret was on hiatus, Owen Hart steps up big time. And it really is a shame that he didn't get to continue what he was doing here and he would eventually reform the Hart Foundation with all these guys. I think Owen was starting to really shine on his own because him and Pillman and eventually Austin, they trash Brett and it's Mm. a lot of fun. This is also the first, uh, the other famous Austin um, bit of audio soundbite where he comes out, he comes out um, running his mouth. He's got different theme music too. It's, it's not the, the famous glass shatters. It's that sort of cold calculated serial killer kind of theme that he's come out. But he does that famous speech where he says, if you stick an S in front of Hitman, that's exactly my opinion of Bret Hart, which at this point in time, as we mentioned, is still very much a kid-friendly WWF. Yeah, and Vince McMahon has to sort of like, you know, do his overly sincere apologies. Like, oh, no, we don't want that kind of language. That's not the sort of language we'd like here at the World Wrestling Federation. But you can tell, especially getting Brian Pillman out here too, Seeing, uh, at, at this point in time, WCW is very promo heavy. This is them dipping their toe in the water and just sort of giving a bit of free reign to the talent to, to speak their minds because I think Austin, who obviously is very, very good on the microphone, as is Brian Pillman, Owen, as you said, is just legendary too. These guys just seem to have like, you've got X amount of minutes, go out and say what you want, make it entertaining, guys. Yeah, and... I know the Hart Foundation is the plan and Austin ends up getting really popular. This almost felt like something they were playing around with, like because these guys were aligned a little bit during the feud with Brett and Austin. Mm. But I think Austin Pillman and um, Owen in an alternate universe could have been this huge 
faction as well and something that was really fun because they all had great chemistry together they really did and uh, yeah it's um, it's interesting to sort of think in that alternate reality world i mean what could have happened if these three had like a little stable or a faction and then broke up you had the combination of matches say like that as a six-man with those three against some other three those three against each other two as a tag team we already knew that uh Brian Pillman and Steve Austin reuniting. Like, there's just so many options, but obviously we could fantasy book for days. Here's something else that popped up that seems to be a constant in these 96 WWF pay-per-views. The sightseeing propaganda shots. Yeah, Philadelphia propaganda with Mark Henry. This one was a little bit different. Normally, these are these great video packages with the WWF production. There's music, there's a voiceover, there's a story. This one was just like, shots of Mark Henry around Philadelphia with no real audio aside from Vince McMahon just like winging it. It wasn't even pre-recorded lines. It felt like he was just like, oh, and here's Mark with the, the Liberty Bell. Isn't Mark yeah. having fun? It was so and weird. Look, it sounds like Simon's just putting on some hyperbole here. That's exactly what I Oh, there he is with the Liberty Bell. Look at that big <laughs> statue. Oh, Mark Henry's. And Mark Henry looks anything but <laughs> having fun. He's just like, why am I here? And yeah. you and I, having met Mark Henry, know that he's a very charismatic kind of guy. He's a very friendly dude. He's very, uh, he's larger than life. But like, this really did look like he was looking for his mum in a shopping centre <laughs> because he's looking, he's just wondering. He's like, it's like almost someone who had said, let's go stand near the Liberty Bell and just walk around for a bit. Yeah, um, he probably didn't even know they were rolling or there would be no audio. He probably thought, are we starting yet? And they're like, no, nah, we're done. We've got all the footage we need, you know? It feels yeah, like step one and they just it, never did anything else. It's so strange. But look, that and it doesn't even pay off that much too. Like It's just literally like, it's Mark Henry in Philadelphia. Full yeah. stop. That about sums it up. Uh, which He's on the to... show later. It's not like he wasn't on the show and they mm. needed to shoehorn him in somehow. Yeah. So, so weird. But that leads us to our next match. This one's for the WWF Tag Team titles. Uh, it's Owen and Bulldog versus Billy Gunn and Bart Gunn, the Smoking Guns, who are the Tag Team Champions. I forgot how much the smoking guns were a big part of this era. When you watch all these, I'm guessing you're like me too, Simon, in the sense that when we got a WWF pay-per-view from the video store, that was to tide us over for however long, and it wouldn't be maybe months till we got another WWF uh, pay-per-view. So the passage of time could have been, oh, it's just two years old. Is it a month old? Is it a week old? When you actually see how much the smoking guns were involved in 1996 WWF, it's incredible. For me, as a kid, 1996 was the year that my video store started to get them every month. So Mm -hmm. 96 was the first year I remember following chronologically. Only pay-per-views. I didn't have Foxtel, so I couldn't watch Raw. Mm. But goddamn, (laughs) the smoking guns are all over 96. And this is the one part of doing this project that I'm not enjoying. I haven't liked a single match of theirs, and it blows (laughs) my mind. When in 1996, they're like, oh, four-time champions. Like, what? This wasn't mm. the area w- era where you're champion every second week. Four championship runs is big. Yeah. It's huge. And so it's, look, it's a fairly inoffensive match. But you look, I'm going to put it, just put it completely bluntly here. In our previous episodes of Reliving the War, 
cut and paste whatever we said about those <laughs> smoking guns matches and paste it into here because they don't change. Yeah. They really don't change. The only thing different was that um, Sonny was a bit more over Billy Gunn. Like, I think they were sort of, were they positioning? Uh, it looked like at the start to anyone that doesn't know how it all pans out that Billy Gunn's the breakout star here and Sonny's going to be his manager. But uh, as I've written in my notes, I've written, it's a just their match. Yep. I had a similar note. I said, even Bulldog and Owen can't get a fun match out of the guns. Like, Jesus, literally two of the best wrestlers in the company, two of the top five. We saw them in that six-man. Yep. We've seen them do everything that's very, very good, and not even they can do it. And Bulldog and Owen are basically working as the good guys, as the faces in this match, like de facto mm. faces. So they're a bit more animated than they would be in this era. A bit more, you know, high-flying and fast-paced. The match still isn't great. We even had the weird manager stuff with Clarence Mason signing Bulldog and Owen away from Jim Cornette, who's getting medical treatment, which I think is kind of funny. He got him to sign under duress or whatever, (laughs) which is pretty good. But it's just a mess. The only thing I remember about this match from watching it originally years ago... So... They established at the last pay-per-view that during Sonny's entrance, she'll have a big poster of herself. Well, Mm -hmm. this month, it was graffitied and vandalized. Like, they drew a goatee on Sonny, and Mm -hmm. they said that Bulldog and Owen did it, which I think now it makes more sense because we know Bulldog and Owen were well-known for their ribs and practical jokes. So it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, look at what they did. That could have been a fun character for them at the time, but that never really gets followed up either. And when we talk about defacing the picture, it's sort of like, you know, when you, when you draw, like black out a few teeth and, oh, look, look, what are all these flies doing around Sonny's head? You know, that kind of stuff. But it's funny that you do mention that because in the previous segment, they're very clearly the bad guys. So obviously it's like, well, we need someone to be the good team against the gun. So, oh, look, they're pranksters. We'll just, we'll deface a photo of Sonny. But Owen and Bulldog rightly win the championships here. Uh, and, exit stage left pretty quickly because the main meat and potatoes of this segment is Sonny losing her mind and dumping the guns. Yep, that's it. The smoking guns explode. And (laughs) I think we know where it goes from here. Uh, Bart Gunn reappears eventually with Brawl for All. Billy Gunn doesn't get going for a year. He goes through Rockabilly. Rockabilly, yeah, that which is strange in itself and uh with the blessing of the honky tonk man though so it's funny that this is this this is the part this is the sort of era where and we'll get to it a bit later on where they sort of dive back in the legends and yeah. bring them back here a little rockabilly bit, so. the new bl- blackjacks and you know we've mm-hmm. already got the new rockers by this point but look things turn out great for billy gunn for a few years um we'll get to that hmm yeah, the rise we'll, and we'll, fall of Billy Gunn. We're going to say it's going to be fun. A funny story, just uh, uh, just as as I go completely sidetracked here. You've been to a WrestleCon before, Simon, so you know what to expect here. Uh, but essentially, if you don't go to a wrestling, um, if you ever have the opportunity to go to a WrestleMania, there's normally conventions that are nearby. Uh, just piggybacking up because that's where all the wrestling fans are. So at WrestleCon in at WrestleMania 33 in Orlando. My buddy Alex and I were walking to the toilets um, and we walked past Billy Gunn and there was a fan 
that was also there, probably walking to the toilets, uh, going to the same destination that we were, sees Billy Gunn goes, oh, Billy, Billy, do you mind if I get a quick photo? And Billy Gunn, without, a sh- without missing a step or even turning around, continues his trajectory towards back towards the hall. He goes, if you want one, you can pay your money like everyone else. <laughs> Classic <laughs> Billy Gunn. I'd expect nothing less. That's great. Yes. So if you ever see Billy Gunn out in public and you want a selfie, got some bad news for you. You're probably going to have to hand over some dollars. Those WrestleCon things. I remember uh, one of the years I went to WrestleMania, we were at the NXT show at TakeOver. Uh, Me, my brother and my best mate were there. And there's this young kid in front of us who's like super excited. When I say kid, he was like in his early 20s. And he's like, Mm. oh yeah, I went to WrestleCon. I met all these wrestlers. And we're like, oh yeah, cool. And he's showing us all these photos and autographs that he got on his phone. And he's like, yeah, it was totally worth the money. And we're like, oh, what did you pay to get in? He told us the entry fee, but then he explained how each guy costs like $40. And he's Mm. like, RVD was 50 for a picture and this much for an autograph, but it was worth it. And we added it up. We're like, man, this guy spent like $500. Like, Mm. I don't know if it's worth it. As a side note, one last WrestleCon story from me. I paid $10 to get a photo with Wade Barrett. Best $10 you will ever spent because he spends a good amount of... In fact, I have a Barrett Barrage t-shirt there. Uh, our boss, Nettie, will love that because we have got a huge thing for Wade Barrett. We just loved him as a superstar. But um, he was really, really accommodating. Really, really nice dude. On the flip side, there was people paying $120 for photo ops with Sting. Oh, $120, which my buddy Alex just stood off into the distance and we have a photo of him and Sting, except Sting's all the way in the background. (laughs) So technically, he's pocketed the $120 and still got a photo with Sting. I'm sure you can muck around with the depth somehow and get them like on the same level, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah, because Sting looks like a micro machine. But uh, look, buyer beware. If you ever go to a WrestleCon, bring your wallet because it's not just the cost of entry that you have to worry about. But let's get straight into... uh, Probably two people that would be well into the WrestleCon circuit in this day and age. Jerry the King Lawler versus Mark Henry. And yeah, this is... We, we talked about Mark Henry and this big rocket ship push that they had for him in 1996, which makes sense. He's coming off the Olympics and that's about it. He's a big, strong dude. All the requiems to, for success in the WWF at that point in time. Yeah, and at this time, they're just leaning into that. He's a former Olympian. We see him in his massive USA tracksuit. That's like the pants, the jacket, the Kangol hat that also has the American flag on it. (laughs) He's just like bigger Lex Luger. Like they didn't learn from the Lex Express. They're like, let's do it again with this super American guy. And honestly, you see this and you wouldn't imagine Mark Henry works out the way he does. He's another guy where it takes years to click, but then it's you know, as good as it gets. He does so much good stuff. But these early matches of Mark Henry are going to be a struggle to watch back. This isn't good. What we've seen from Jerry Lawler so far on these pay-per-views, he's used in these weird matches with Ultimate Warrior, uh, with Jake the Snake, with Mark Henry, where they're not really matches. They're just these weird segments. And he does like a full bout of stand-up going into it. You know, the entire, from entrance to the ring, there's just shenanigans. He's got like brass knuckles or something in his uh, in his trunks. It's just an awful, awful match. Mark Henry, of course, 
he wins because he is, like I said, he's American. He's strong. You have to like him. That's basically the instructions we're given here. And then for no apparent reason afterwards, after Mark Henry wins in a hell of a, like a torture rack sort of thing, mm. um, Jerry Lawler just like he's done. Mark Henry's in the ring. And then out of nowhere, the new rockers attack him. But not even together, because when it yeah. first happened, Al Snow ran, ran in. And I'm like, why is Al Snow in? And then Marty. Yeah. And then I thought, okay. But then Triple H runs out. Yeah. And then Mark Henry, super impressive, presses Triple H over his head and throws him onto the new rockers. But just to see what they thought of everyone at this stage, Mark Henry <laughs> was the big star and Triple H was just the guy to get thrown. He was literally there. Triple H was there for less than five minutes. He runs out. Hunter Hearst Helmsley just, I think he bounces off the ropes, gets taken down by Mark Henry, press slam, thrown outside the ring, onto the New Rockers. Then Mark Henry poses with a bit of pyro in the background. That's Segment it. done. Well done, Triple H. You've earned your, tri- you've earned your pay. Yeah, he was human garbage on this show. That was it. Just got <laughs> tossed around. See you later. You would not think Triple H turns into what he did, but, you know, yeah. 96 now, now the, was a weird year. Now the founding father of NXT. It's just crazy to see where everything uh, turns out. Uh, next up, we get uh, another video hype package for Goldust versus Undertaker. They make this feud seem like it is. It, it's, it, they put it on equal billing as Mankind versus HBK. In, in all fairness, this pay-per-view is marketed as a double main event. Yeah, it's interesting because you look back and now you realize why it was mind games because of the double main event, which included Mm -hmm. different people playing mind games. But Mm -hmm. this totally got lost in time and lost in the shuffle. I don't remember this being a big deal. Um, Only re-watching this did I realize how much focus they put on to Taker and Goldust. Because I'll be honest, this is a feud that I don't think happened but obviously it did we've seen it on two pay-per-views now and it's pretty good both matches are good but taker and goldust still feels like a feud that never really took off like it should have yeah it really doesn't and i don't know i don't know what was going on in in dustin Rhodes' life at this point in time but he's all in on the goldust character to the point where here's my favorite part of the entire Goldust era during the very early days. Anytime he's flamboyant or overly stereotypically gay, they always refer to it as theatrics from Goldust. Oh, the mind games from Goldust, the bizarre one. They learned a new word for this pay-per-view though. They called it histrionics a lot of times as well. (laughs) More of those histrionics from uh, Goldust. But it's so it's so bizarre. Yeah, Goldust is just fully committed to this. But another thing, people are losing their mind for The Undertaker. The minute mm. he comes out, the, the lights go dark. The response, huge. It's Cena levels. It is Stone Cold levels. He is the biggest star, um, clearly by a huge amount of decibels. And once the match sort of starts, look, it's nothing special, but it still has its place within the whole history of the WWF. Yeah, I thought their last match that we saw a few pay-per-views ago had elements of being really good. This one was the same. It never fully clicked. Not that their chemistry was bad. It was just the type of match they were having. It's a mm. shame they never got to have just a straight-up classic with without the histrionics and theatrics and whatever else. 
because they obviously had some chemistry, but it's good, but it's not great, I think. But I will say in terms of reactions, though, I noted as well, this match got the best reaction of the night so far. Like, it doesn't matter how good the match, you know, was from a star rating perspective. The crowd loves it. Also, fun fact, this has got to be The Undertaker's first pay-per-view without a manager because mm. Paul Barrow just turned or on Or the him. urn, yeah. Yeah, no urn, no manager. Obviously, the early days, he had um, Brother Love as well. Taker mm. riding solo. Interesting. One of the funniest parts of this match is Taker gets blinded by Goldust throwing literal gold dust like dust that is gold into the face of the undertaker mr fuji style so this was this the only time gold dust used gold dust as a weapon because i swear i don't remember i don't think i've ever seen i don't and and to this day like i didn't actually realize until watching it back um a couple of nights ago Mr. Perfect is the one saying, he just threw gold dust. That's actual dust, McMahon. Kind of <laughs> That's good. I, I missed that. But it's true. This was the gold dust. Mm. Uh, look, it, it, the match, I'm not going to tell anyone to go hunt it down because there's so much more better gold dust and Undertaker matches out there, both individually. And like we said, a couple of pay-per-views ago, they had a better match, I thought. But um, Taker wins. It sort of puts a bow on this feud. But... Um, it, it, it's just amazing how Taker just rolls into the next feud. It's almost like once he hits that final pin, righto, who's next for Taker? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, they did say this was the final curtain. Mm. You know, mm. that was it. One tombstone, never again. Yeah, it was built into it. But um, uh, next, they do the sell for Taker's match with uh, Mankind at Buried Alive straight after that too. So... <laughs> Yeah, it's all over. Sorry, Goldust. We're going back to that. And that's great. I can't wait to talk about Very Little Live. Oddly enough, though, what is very strange is because this is the second last match on the card, Mankind is in the next match for the WWF Championship. So, And they're already promoting the match that Undertaker will have against Mankind. And they make no mention of the WWF champion, or Championship which leads you to sort of go, okay, is this because Mankind's not going to win? Or is this because it's just a buried alive match? It's got nothing to do with the, the match. That's how much of a grudge match it is. I just thought that was really strange. Yeah, I know. And, you know, you look at it now as an adult and you're like, oh, this sort of telegraphs what could happen. But you don't think of that in 96 yeah. without dirt sheets. But yeah, interesting promotion choice. Yeah, you're right though. Because like all you think, and yeah, to be fair, that, that is the adult smarky smark in me coming out there because back in 1996, all I'll be thinking is, a buried alive match? Yeah, They're going to the bury someone? Yeah. <laughs> because, because we've had casket matches before, not a buried alive match, which is very interesting. Um, next up, we see Kevin Kelly do a little piece to camera with HBK before his match. HBK, very humble, I thought, which was unusual. I want to talk about this promo because as a kid, this is weird. I remember this promo. Like I've always thought about it. You know, this is one from the era that stands out because I thought it was cool that Shawn Michaels, who is feuding with mankind, who is crazy. Shawn is basically saying, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to wing it. I don't have an answer Mm. for this guy. And he's like, you know, I don't have much going on upstairs. I always thought it was a fun promo. Like you said, he's humble. Different yeah. Sean, he's sort of unsure. He's not as confident as he usually is. 
He's not angry. He's just like, I don't know. And that's what I yeah. loved about Shawn Michaels as a kid. He's like, oh, whatever. I'll just figure it out. Anyway, it's Conrad Thompson on a review episode. Him and Tony Schiavone watched this back on what happened when. And mm-hmm. Conrad Thompson called this the worst Shawn Michaels promo ever. He interpreted it differently. He thought that Shawn Michaels, like, for real, didn't know what he was talking about and was confused. And I didn't take it that way. I've always no, seen it as it's on purpose. Shawn Michaels is like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to figure it out. Well, this is what, that's, that's why I bring up this, this, um, this promo from Shawn. Because, because we've seen before in International Incident where he's pumped because he's got the super team of... of um, Psycho Sid there with him, Ultimate Warrior, you know, he's pumped, he's hyped, he knows someone's got their back. Against Vader, he knows that he's, that Vader's bigger and stronger, but you know what, I'm faster, I'm, I'm speedier, I've got your number here. We haven't seen a character like Mankind in the WWF. Mankind, who is, they make it very, very clear by the country team and by the way that mankind acts he's deranged he's not quite right he's everything that's wrong in the world he's he's unhinged so obviously Shawn michaels would be thinking well what the hell do i do with a guy that doesn't care about like let alone looking after himself what's he gonna do to me kind of thing because we've seen that mankind inflicts a lot of like pain on himself which is part of the character of like, if this is what I do to myself, then what am I going to do to you kind of mm. thing? So, yeah, I, I think Conrad's probably missed the mark there, but hey, each of their own. But you want to talk about a hell of a match. Again, Mankind gets his first entrance with Paul Bearer and the Urn, which is a big carryover from the finish to SummerSlam. So that's a bit mm. unique because Paul Bearer, Paul Bearer, this is where it sort of, it's an odd period because no, obviously a lot of people would just think Paul Bearer and the Undertaker. It's always been Paul Bearer and the Undertaker. No, it hasn't because this is this is it like 1998 when he finally reunites with Undertaker. Yeah, this era is fun. It's kind of a mess for maybe the first year because yeah, Paul Bearer manages Mankind, Goldust, Vader. It's like this weird group. It doesn't mm. really click again to to me anyway for Paul Bearer until. Mid-97, where he starts claiming to The Undertaker that I have a secret. And that mm-hmm. leads to the Kane storyline, which you're right, he reunites with The Undertaker at some point in 98, but then for real in 99 with The, uh, the, ministry, the ministry, which is so great. But yeah, it's really weird. This, uh, this era is strange. I don't know if mm-hmm. it worked with non-Undertaker relatives, but yeah. Yeah. Look, another thing, we constantly mention it, HBK is getting a nuclear popular heat. Like, they love him so much. The screams, man, women, child. He's a friend to all. And it's just, it's bizarre. It's like, uh, it's Justin Bieber-like levels of popularity. Um, Admiration from kids. Ladies are screaming for him. Guys are screaming for him. Everyone across the board loves Shawn Michaels in this era. Yeah, we'd see the men turn on him at the Survivor Series in a few months at Madison Square Garden. But I think that was just a one-off. That's the outlier. That's Madison Square Garden. Even in 96, that's your, you know, smart internet for the time crowd Mm -hmm. who are trying to be cool. But 
Outside of that, everybody loved Shawn Michaels. Like he was over. And I know ratings weren't as good as WCW's at the time, but you can't blame Shawn Michaels for that. Yeah. He is yeah. the, like we've said, we're trying to be different when we pick our MVPs of the pay-per-view. But the easy choice, every pay-per-view <laughs> we've watched if we wanted to, was just to say, Shawn Michaels again. Like he kills it every single month. Yeah, we're going to be, it's going to be difficult to pick an MVP that's not Shawn Michaels in this one because from the minute the bell rings, this match starts off at a 10. It just, mm. there's no building up to it. I can't even think, is there any moment where it slows down and they have a rest hold or anything like that? Even the points where it slows down, it's not really slow. They're brawling on the ground. They're doing submissions. It's a different type of match and feels like it was ahead of its time for mainstream main event wrestling. This isn't a cruiserweight match. This isn't some throwaway opening match on a random TV show. For a main event to look like this in 96, I think that's why it's so memorable and so highly regarded. It's like nothing else from the time. It is absolute nonstop action. It's total nonstop action. It's good. <laughs> it Very certainly good. is. I, I forgot to mention too, Mankind comes out. His entrance is in a casket. He, along with Paul Barrett, the Druids and all that sort of stuff, he sits up in the casket. He gets out of it. The casket plays a role in it too because um, HBK at one point in time is trying to, Mankind tries to put him in the casket. That just doesn't work. But the only times where I can think this isn't a complete 100% switched on match is... Like you said, Simon, the brawls to the outside. The only time it slows down is when mankind rips off the um, mankind rips off the the um, the mats outside mm. the ring and exposes the concrete. The second he does that, Shawn Michaels pushes him down, covers him with the mats, stomps on him, does everything. So there is literally no point in time where this match slows down. Yeah. Oh, that spot is so good because Sean, yeah, drop kicks the mat onto him, then does a cross body, then slams his head, then stomps him under the mat. Like it's brutal. Um, there is an infamous bit in this match. That's a callback to SummerSlam. So at SummerSlam, we were explaining how Sean Michaels and Vader had a bit of a miscommunication. Sean Michaels lost his temper, said, idiot, you know, stay down or whatever and kick Vader for real. They did a callback in this match that was set up on purpose. Shawn Michaels gets whipped into the corner. He goes for a crossbody and Mankind isn't there. So Shawn, quote unquote, loses his temper, runs to the corner and just starts beating on Mankind. And they did that on purpose to show that Shawn Michaels will brawl. And it was almost like, is this real? Is this fake? Is mm. Shawn Michaels crazy? And again... Yeah ahead of its time to blur the lines of a botch, you know, or quote unquote, he's shooting, you know? Yeah. Um, another great touch where as a kid, I never understood it, but watching it as I got older, like that's genius. Other parts of this match that also made you sort of go as a kid, really cringe was, you know, you often hear the don't try this at home bit where mankind gets suplexed onto the stairs and his knee it, it looked like that shouldn't have happened, but his knee goes straight into the steel steps. But everyone puts makes attention. Like, Shawn Michaels has driven his knee into that, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, all that sort of stuff, uh, making it seem like this is... It's not meant to happen. It's just so crazy. Absolute craziness here. But the biggest spot 
that I thought was just like, well, we're never going to see this again. Mankind gets hung in the ropes. Yeah. Like he's hung from the neck, but at the same time, while he's hung there, like fighting f- to breathe, he's got the mandible claw locked in on HBK. Again, I keep bringing this up. It is PG WWF at this time. We're still marketing to kids and you're getting someone that's literally hanging by their neck while they're putting their hand down the throat of another man. It's ridiculous. Yeah, this match is brutal. Like, it's not a great technical match like Shawn Michaels and Bulldog. It's not sort of a showy main event brawl that Shawn had with Diesel, you know, Mm. back at Good Friends, Better Enemies. Shawn Michaels in 96 was having such a wide variety of matches and this one was like another facet of that. This was this brutal, you know, ahead of its time style match that wasn't a brawl because of the weapons they used. It was a brawl and it was brutal because of, like you said, the hanging spot, you know, the knee into the, the steps, the concrete getting stomped, you know, the fake botch. This mm. match is so good still now. It still stands out, I think. Even things like um, Mankind doing the old school, um, the old school, what's that thing called? Uh, the the Cactus Jack running elbow off the, the off the turnbuckle kind of thing when he's on the on the apron. Yeah, things like that, bringing in chairs into the match, all of this sort of stuff. I will say he's, though, the the dumbest move that Mick Foley does in this match is one that he's done in other matches, and I still think it's one of the dumbest moves ever. Um, Shawn Michaels is standing on the outside of the ring. Mankind takes a run-up from the opposite side of the ring, runs to where Shawn Michaels is, does a baseball slide, not to kick Shawn, just to get outside of the ring, (laughs) and then does a neckbreaker. What have you accomplished? You could have just stood out there, did the neckbreaker. The run-up and the slide did nothing. No momentum added. Save the cardio, Mick. Save the cardio. (laughs) But another part of this too is they fight... On, as I mentioned, they fight on top of the casket. They fight in the casket. They fight on the outside. Both of them go through the table. And what's crazy about that spot is it wasn't like the table was set. The table obviously was set up, but there's still stuff on it. There's TV monitors still on that on that table, like an inch or two to the left, and that's some serious damage there. Yeah, I remember Shawn Michaels when he goes through a table back in the day. He went through it with everything on it. We saw, um, yeah, uh, I mentioned it before, Diesel powerbombed him through the table at Good Friends, Better Enemy. They went through the table here with everything on it. In 97, when Sean goes off the Hell in a Cell, everything's on it. Mm. He wasn't into this modern thing where they're like, sorry, mate, let me just take the monitors me, off the table. Yeah, so look, weird. I'm covering too. It's just, <laughs> it's just, hey, look, if there's a table and there's stuff on it, I'm just going through it. There's no Go time to clear it. it. Better. But uh, there's some absolute... Car- and JR... JR is peak JR. Like, <laughs> my God, he's broken in half. Look at the carnage here. Like, he is, he's, it's car crash. It's so good. It's the best JR that you will get. On the commentary, I do want to mention, we haven't mentioned it during the show. JR's great. Vince mm-hmm. McMahon's great. Mr. Perfect's good too. I will say, Mr. Perfect doesn't really stand out as a commentator. He's sort of no. just there. You can feel like his heart wasn't in it and he was itching to get back in the ring, which he does eventually in WCW, which we'll get to. But yeah, it just felt like he's maybe not as good as you would have expected on commentary. Mm. Yeah. But look, they're doing a phenomenal job here. And there's another great spot too, where there is a chair set up in the corner. Uh, Mick Foley's about to do, 
uh, Mick Foley's going to do, you know, the, the, the Cactus Jack chair off the rope. And HBK basically springboards off the chair that's set up in the ring and gives a Van Daminator to Mick Foley. Like, it's just so well done, this match. Yeah, that was a very ECW spot because we saw him jump off a chair, you know, like Sabu, and then, like you said, basically a Van Daminator super kicked the chair right in his face, which, again, 1996 in WWE, who else is doing that? Such a good pay-per-view. It is so, so good. But the thing is, unfortunately, oh, shenanigans, absolute shenanigans because Vader, Vader comes out, causes the DQ. Did Vader ruin his ending? Was he late? Was he meant to break up the pin? I'm convinced I think he, he stuffed that up. I, I'm convinced he stuffed it up too because because Mick, I don't think it's by the uh, it's by the bare minimums that he even gets out of that three count, yeah. and then all of a sudden it's like it's like pinfall attempt one two. Uh, oh, here's Vader. <laughs> it feels like Shawn Michaels almost just gets off him, even though it would have been a three because Vader was not going to make it in time. Oh man, it is just such a, it's an odd one. It's so odd. But yeah, Sid, to his credit, doesn't miss a cue. Sid gets involved in this. So Psycho Sid is back. The crowd is going ballistic. Sid gets another Sid-like pop. My God, we mention it every month that Sid's on a show. They loved Sid. Absolutely loved him too. So like, all this is going on. There's so much carnage happening. And then the icing on the cake, completely out of nowhere, Undertaker appears, but he sits up in the casket. How did he get in the casket, McMahon? And a great red herring earlier in the match, like you mentioned, Mick Foley went to throw Sean in the casket, but that was just to show the crowd the casket's empty. To plant that seed, there's nothing Mm. in the casket. So when Paul Bearer opened it later and the Undertaker was in there, sits up. Everyone lost their minds. It is just absolutely crazy. The, because, like you said, we, we it's it's done the old okay. Well, the casket is of course empty. So when Taker sits up, it is just crazy, and it's a nice way to link back to remember. Buried alive is next month. I just thought fantastic this match. Give it all the stars in the world because it still holds up to this day. Not only that, it's a very long match, but it feels like it goes for about ten minutes. Twenty six minutes. Similar to the SummerSlam main event with Shawn Michaels and Vader, and even like Bulldog and Shawn Michaels, Shawn Michaels in this era was having these long half an hour main events and they just fly by. Feels like you're watching nothing, like 10 minutes. So good. I'll tell you, the Smoking Guns match felt like it went for about (laughs) 20 minutes. That only went for 10, but it felt (laughs) like double the length. You're right. Um, Just for reference, if anyone cares about these things, this match was given... Three, uh, four and three quarter stars by Dave Meltzer. If you're into that sort of thing, I'm guessing it's the uh, the Vader at the end ruined it for him. Probably took off yeah. that one quarter star. But <laughs> CageMatch.net, which is a fun resource, I check it every now Very and then good. because it's voted on by fans. Like fans can just go on there and vote on a match. 167 mm. votes for this main event. It's currently sitting on 9.14 out of 10. So if you've never seen this match, take those recommendations. Take Nims and I's word for it. Go and watch it because this match, match of the year in 96, so far from what we've seen, and I'm pretty sure by the end of the year, nothing is better than this on pay-per-view. 
It's so good. This is a very, very good match. And you know what? You've probably actually got it. If you've got a Shawn Michaels DVD or a Mick Foley DVD lying around the house, oh. chances are this it's got to be on there on the extras somewhere because it is, take our word for it, it is seriously a very, very good match. And you can t- like, if we're gonna if we're gonna compare this to Fall Brawl, it's very hard to do so. It's so Fall hard Brawl. to do, I reckon. Fall Brawl was a mixed bag, great main event because of the um the War the Games, match, War Games, which is so good, great storytelling with the fake sting and everything else. But this main event is untouchable. Nothing on that show came close to this. We had the fun promo segment with Austin and Pillman. There's enough on this show. And because it's only two hours, 40 minutes of it is dedicated to the main event, including entrances. So yeah, yeah this match sort of gives anything they were doing a run for their money. And, and it, it won't recommend, it won't sort of like historically, this won't go down as one of the, uh, a big turning point, but if you like fall brawl 96 will, but like you said, Simon, there is something for everyone here. Even the strap match was great. Mm. Aside, take out the smoking guns match. This is a solid pay per view. There's no even that really uh, the gimmick match between Jose Lothario and Jim Cornette. It's inoffensive. It's done and dusted. The Mark Henry match, even though that is bad, you don't have to sit through it too long. Whereas everything else, the strap match is good. It's just a solid pay per view from top to bottom. And the fact that you're there for two hours, you can consume this. It goes by like that. It's such a good pay-per-view. Highly recommend it. Yeah, I would say watch it. If you've never seen it, check it out. It's a lot of fun. The last two matches especially, Undertaker and Goldust is pretty good. Like we said, they've got good chemistry and what's good is very good in that match. But then the main Mm -hmm. event, just next level stuff. Got to say, so far though, with these WWF main events, even though I love 1996 for the Shawn Michaels main event run, I forgot how many of these matches end in shenanigans mm. with run-ins. <laughs> King of the Ring did. Uh, International Incident obviously did. SummerSlam <laughs> did. This one did. Mm. Just nothing ends without a big brawl. It's actually one of the main criticisms that WCW fans had about the NWO because yeah. if you watched pre-NWO pay-per-views, there was rarely rarely a schmoz finish you always had a decisive winner it might not be the guy you wanted like you might not have wanted to see flair win or the horseman reign supreme but they always had a clear winner and a lot of the criticism of the nwo from back in the day was that like oh we never get a decisive finish whereas it's almost part and parcel like that's the sort of thing that hall nash and hogan were brought up on yeah and and it's interesting because we started in june for both promotions at the end of bash at the beach we obviously saw the nwo form but at the end of king of the ring there's a big brawl as well Mm. so Mm. what came first chicken or the egg both promotions (laughs) were just saying ah brawls at the end of pay-per-views was that an ecw influence influence and no one wants to admit it what's going on yeah yeah it's it's a it's an interesting one in hindsight when you look at it like especially when you watch them back to back to back to back mm. like you do notice like but they always get their time in the sun afterwards though because after all the dust is cleared Shawn michaels gets his music played poses to all four sides of the ring too you're right that's the difference wcw would end on a low note to make you sad and want the good guys to get revenge wwe mm. would resolve it that night where the good guy at least gets to pose. And, you know, like Bruce Pritchard says, Hogan must pose. 
they copied that format for Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels must dance and mm-hmm. hit sexy boy. Like, yeah. play the music, do the dance. That's what we all want to say. <laughs> yeah, as we said, you've probably picked it up right now. We absolutely love this pay-per-view. But now we've got to get to the nitty-gritty, Simon. Compare this on paper with Fall Brawl 96. What do you think? Both September pay-per-views. Which one was better? Full Brawl feels like the big one because it's a War Games match. I'm just trying to recall off the top of my head, not looking at the card, what else stood out. Um, I remember we had Chavo versus DDP. Mm-hmm. That was okay. That was. Uh, there was Chris Jericho versus Chris Benoit. That was okay. Mm-hmm. I'm realizing I'm not really a fan of those matches anymore, yeah. watching them back. What are you talking about? What, you weren't a fan of uh, Scott Norton versus Ice Train. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fire and ice explode again. They just keep wrestling. Um, I'm going to say this was more of a fun watch. And I, again, it was only two hours, which is in its favor. But mm. this match taking up 40 to 45 minutes of the show, that helps. Can't beat yeah. it. We, let's look at it in terms of if we concentrate the wrestling. Like you said, there's so much to, out of a three-hour WCW pay-per-view. War Games is the thing to watch. Like, mm. we're not telling you, like, don't not watch Fall Brawl 96. Watch it. But feel free to skip straight to War Games. There's so much... Aside from... We're just telling you to skip the Smoking Guns match. Out of a two-hour <laughs> pay-per-view, the 10 minutes or so that is bad pretty much sort of says it. And, yeah, I've got to give it to... Uh, from a top-to-bottom pay-per-view, in terms of landmark pay-per-views yes fall brawl is important because it brings in fake sting it leads to the this crow sting so yes it is of course important in in history of the monday night wars but at the same time mind games pay-per-view is also really important in the sense that it establishes mankind as a main eventer it kicks off the undertaker's run as sort of one of the pillars of the main event in the post-Hogan era. Mm. It cements Shawn Michaels. So it's equally as important. And we kick off Austin and Brett Mm. with the first real shot fired, the S in front of Hitman. Yeah. Yeah. So if if it comes down to a two-horse race, Fall Brawl, it's a photo finish. It's a photo finish. Fall Brawl slightly falls behind. Uh, if we're going by different classes, Fall Brawl, by all means, is very important. But like you said, Mind Games, a lot happens from this pay-per-view. Yeah, I'm going to give it to Mind Games. And if we're picking an MVP for this show, this time I'm going with the easy choice, Shawn Michaels. <laughs> what a match. And really, Mick Foley, actually, you could split it 50-50. Yeah. No one's carrying anyone in this match. It's an mm. equal performance both guys sort of doing stuff they wouldn't normally do and it just leads to basically a perfect match mm, correct i've got a, i've got a, i'm going to give it to uh, to mankind because at this point in time i think we we look back at mankind's matches with some rose tinted glasses because we all love mick foley so much we love what he's done in the 2000s era at this point in time like he's a new character people remember him as cactus jack but this is the match that sort of rubber stamped him like Yes, he was in the Boiler Room Brawl at SummerSlam, but it's this match that... That's a gimmick match. That's like your precursor of the Boneyard sort of match. Yeah. Whereas this is... Holy crap, Mankind can wrestle. He's good. Like, yeah. And it's really a lot for his stock, so I'm going to give it to Mankind here. All right. Nothing wrong with that. It was very, very good. Um, 
interesting choice for a two-hour in-your-house pay-per-view. When it ends, they do the WrestleMania-style show recap mm. set to music, yeah. which I wasn't expecting because I saw there was like, you know, 30 seconds left of the show and we got yes. a recap of the whole pay-per-view again set to some weird dream theater prog metal like knockoff and i was like this is weird but it's very strange yeah yeah it you almost wish that saliva's superstar or something was there because that's what we're conditioned to hearing yeah wwe eventually got there they figured out what music fit and that's saliva (laughs) and limp biscuit um oh actually shout out to jr another classic line on this pay-per-view not just the s in front of hitman this is the night where JR used the line, which they would use a soundbite a bit for decades. He says, it's like a demolition derby, but they're not using cars. They're using their bodies. Great. Yeah. It's such a good line. And it was so aptly uh, fitting for that match too. But yeah, do yourself a favor. Check out Mind Games. Like we said, it's two hours. You can get through it in a breeze. The only thing that drags on in there is a smoking guns match, but the network's got a skip match option. So... The good news is the smoking guns are done. This might be the only time you watch them. So if you can put through with it, put up with it one more time, you're good. Oh, yeah. So look, it's it's WWF by the nose here uh, in terms of September pay-per-views, but all oh, it's going to be stepped up a gear because our next edition of Reliving the War, thanks to our good mates at Slim Jim, it's Halloween Havoc 1996. How's this for a main event? Hulk Hogan, Hollywood Hulk Hogan versus the Macho Man Randy Savage for the WCW Championship. It's going to be huge. Okay. I think this is the match that I remember. I, don't, I can't remember how many times they wrestled in this era. I know they wrestled previously, obviously, in WWF. If this is the main event where Hulk Hogan is wearing the toupee because he mm-hmm. was filming Three Ninjas at the time... And that plays a big part in the match. I'm pretty sure this is the one. They might have a rematch. But if this is the one, this main event is way better than you're expecting. If anyone's <laughs> like, oh, Macho Man and Hulk Hogan in 96, that's going to suck. Nah, if it's this one, it's a lot of fun. There you go. How's that for a sell? There's some... So, there's, Hulk Hogan really went off brand in uh, in his WCW run. Like dyeing his hair, there was one bit where he sort of cuts it and then he sha- he's clean shaven in one uh, in a few episodes of Nitro. He's just going through a weird midlife crisis of rejuvenation. It's because of all those movies he was filming. Three Ninjas, Assault on Devil's Island. So the look was always, you know, ever-changing. But there is one point in the match, and I know it's a spoiler, but whatever. It should be a teaser. Go watch the pay-per-view before we review it. But Macho Man puts the wig on, which is just so funny. It's so good. So good. But yet, that is our next edition of Reliving the War. Halloween Havoc 1996, the October October Spectacular. Uh, we've, We've had so much fun watching Mind Games 1996. We can't stress it enough. Go and watch it for yourself. But if you want to check out our previous editions of Reliving the War and catch yourself up, the entire archive is available on the Grey Wolf Wrestling page. You can check it out on SoundCloud, on Apple Apple Music, uh, not Apple Music, sorry, Apple Podcasts, Spotify as well. You can even go to greywolfentertainment.net to check it out. But the best place to stay up to date, of course, is to follow the socials, Grey Wolf ENT on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can follow Simon as well on Twitter, at Simon Tackler. You can follow me on Twitter too, at Doc Nims. Keep your eye out. But man, I'll tell you what, Simon, Halloween Havoc's got a lot to live up to, especially with that toupee tease. Yeah, it's got the toupee. 
Tune in for that. We'll be reviewing all the hairpiece related shenanigans in that next episode. And then the WWF fires back with Buried Alive. So these October shows I'm really looking forward to. It's just a weird, weird month for these pay-per-views. Yeah, looking forward to it. Join us next time for another edition of Reliving the War. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.